Hello and welcome to Team West Covina, a Crazy Ex-Girlfriend podcast. I'm your host Paisley and today is Saturday, March 30th. This is episode 12 of the podcast and today we're discussing the filming of the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend TV special as well as Crazy Ex-Girlfriend's panel at Paley Fest, which they split with Jane the Virgin. I'll also be sharing some listener comments about what fans would like to see for all the characters in the finale. The TV special took place at the Orpheum Theater in LA on Friday, March 15th and Saturday, March 16th, 2019, while the Paleyfest panel happened on Wednesday, March 20th. Just a forewarning, the review of the TV special will contain spoilers, not for the finale, which I know nothing about, but for the special itself. So wait to listen to this for a week if you want to see it first. I know there are people who love spoilers though, so hopefully this will tide them over. This is a different type of episode than usual. If you're just joining us, normally we do a deep dive into analysis and themes of each episode of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, but occasionally if I'm at a CXG event, I'll report back on that in depth. One thing I realized on this trip to California that I took was how much watching a deceptively feminist, dark, romantic comedy TV show with strong female creators has subconsciously changed my outlook over time. There are the obvious life lessons that the show depicts, but there's more subtle stuff too. Just being part of the CXG community has caused me to like evaluate things differently in my own life. So that's been helpful. Perhaps we're more influenced by media than we think we are. On the first day of my California vacation, I met two other people from the CXG fandom, Sarah and Kaylee, at the airport. I'd never met them in person before, um, and had only casually interacted with Sarah online, yet we, we all got comfortable with each other very quickly. Sarah and Kaylee had already been friends for a while, despite living in different parts of the country, and they'd even visited each other in person, along with the third part of their friend, Topia, Ashley, who was sadly unable to make the show. Our plan was to head straight to West Covina, since Sarah and Kaylee hadn't gotten to see it yet. I've described most of these places in detail from the first time I visited filming locations, so check out episode zero of the podcast if you haven't heard about that. This time we went to the Lakes, which is the city center with a fountain that they use in the West Covina song. I still haven't been able to find a suitable blue cosplay dress for this scene, so I just wore the generic blue one I had in my closet. At least this time I remember to wear my silver sparkly shoes. We all took photos by the fountain, and I also got a picture with the lake sign in the background from that shot where Rebecca sings, What a Cool Looking Anime Wig. White feathers across the street in the same complex as the fountain. The orange flowers are still there. It actually does look like a beautiful place to work, at least from the outside. We spontaneously got boba at a place that was just behind the lakes. There's a little strip mill across the street on the other side. It was just as much fun to be there a second time. The excitement had not faded at all, and I realize that's probably a little ironic for um, most real West Covinians, but, uh, you know, the show's been so special to us that, you know, even, even just being in those places, it kind of has a certain sparkle. I was feeling really, really good that first day, and the majority of the trip, honestly. I was so ready to be away from work, and each day brought all these new exciting things. Sarah, Kaylee, and I all seemed to be on an adrenaline high when we were in West Covina. We took some photos by a West Covina sign and went to the Covina Center, which is that tiny theater that um, 
they played in last year when they did the live tour. And Friday's new episode from that week, I'm Finding My Bliss, was filmed there. I'd already felt a connection to that theater because we had such a special experience there. And I love that they immortalized it in an episode. It was around 4.30 in the afternoon, and we saw that the Covina Center was hosting Covina High School's performance of Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella that evening. So this is pretty ironic on a couple levels. Not only was it the local high school that was giving the performance that night, but they were doing a production that Santino Fontana had the original lead in. Sarah and Kaylee had never seen the inside of the Covina Center, but the doors were locked. A few minutes later, a tall young guy opened the door, and he was wearing a red and black checked button-down shirt. It took me a second to realize why he looked so familiar. He looked and was dressed like the high school kid who Josh Chan interacts with in the California Christmas Time episode, and he was literally performing in a Covina High School production. Um, at first, I wondered if that was like a uniform of sorts, but when he got his teacher who let us inside, I realized it was just one guy who like coincidentally happened to be wearing that. So we explained that we were wondering if we could just take a peek at the theater since it was used in a TV show, and his teacher, the choreographer, asked if we wanted to get our photo taken on stage. We hadn't even considered that, but said yes. As we were to learn on that Friday's episode, I'm Finding My Bliss, Rebecca would audition for community theater at that very venue. In the episode, we see the inside of the theater itself, plus the lobby. Sarah, Kaylee, and I felt a bit silly standing in a row on the stage with a row of high school kids lying on the floor or slumped in the chairs of the first row, occasionally glancing at us confusedly. One kid in the balcony appeared to be filming us or taking our picture with his cell phone. But it was great to get photos there, and it was really nice of them to let us drop in while they were rehearsing. I had wanted to eat dinner or at least take a peek at Three Vinos, the restaurant diagonal from the theater, because this was the inspiration for spiders in the show, something I didn't find out until it was too late last time. But they weren't open until 6 p.m., and it was only 5 o'clock, so I just took a picture of the outside, and at last we headed to Big League Dreams, which is, of course, um, the original inspiration for Home Base. And unbelievably, this was my third time there. We'd gotten there at kind of an odd time, and no one was inside except for employees. We also learned that the credit card machines or cash registers or both were down, so they couldn't serve anyone food. We took some photos inside and out and decided to wait at a table anyway. Sarah, Kaylee, and I got into some deeper discussions and really bonded at home base. I have trouble connecting to or bonding with people in general, from my end, not necessarily theirs, and was happy that it was going so well with Sarah and Kaylee. Sarah and I figured out that we lived only one block apart from 2010 to 2013. It's not just that we both lived in the same area or even the same city, but she lived on the street behind me. And now she lives in a completely different state, so it was just, you know, an incredible synchronicity. Meanwhile, I learned that Kaylee and I had both gone through some tough times and could relate to and empathize with each other right away. I had great talks with both of them. Eventually, the system was back up and we could order food, so I made sure to get a soft pretzel along with my hamburger at Big League Dreams. At the end of the day, Harrison picked me up since he was letting me stay at his place for free while visiting California, which, you know, is a tremendous help to not have to pay for accommodations and have friends there. It's really been great to have a bunch of LA friends to visit, and that's really all through CXG. I'm able to spend time with them as well as see the cast when there's an event, so it really makes it worth it to come out. The day of Friday's TV special taping, a guy from Reddit, Mike, 
organized a brunch meetup for any fans who wanted to join. This was really helpful in terms of meeting people. None of my usual LA people had tickets for the first show except for Heather, but CXG fans are usually easy to talk to, so I put on my yellow diagnosis dress and met up at the Blue Jam Cafe for lunch. Mike was there with his girlfriend, Lori. He dressed as Trent from I'm Just a Boy in Love, so red suit with hearts on it. Mike was brave and wore it to brunch, much to the perplexity of the other guests dining there. Lori wore her version of the blue dress from the pilot. Mike even had a broken heart with Lori's face on it so he could go blam. Stephanie dressed as Nathaniel from Let's Have Intercourse. Fei-Fei dressed as I'm Not Sad, You're Sad, Rebecca in a black leather jacket. Sarah and Kaylee also joined for brunch, and there was another girl from Mexico City who had been part of the email chain, but she wasn't arriving in time to attend, so we saw her later dressed as Camp Rebecca in line. After brunch, we joined the short line in front of the Orpheum. We saw lots of cosplay as more people joined, so we kept taking themed photos. We did all three trends together, all the guys and girls wearing the I'm just a girl slash boy in love outfits, and then I shouted all the Rebeccas and got a whole crowd of us together to pose as the many faces of Rebecca. Um, so a lot of these photos are up on my social media if you want to take a look. Partway through the afternoon, Kaylee went down the street to buy a mini speaker and we started doing karaoke to CXG songs, which is always a lot of fun. At least one or two people filmed us singing Let's Generalize About Men, though I don't know where that ended up. Mike worked on the I'm Just a Boy in Love dance with the two other trends, and I got a video of them doing it to the song. When Let's of Intercourse came on, Stephanie leapt to action, spontaneously performing the whole song with impassioned gestures, which I also filmed. And of course, she was dressed as Nathaniel from that music video, so it was great. My friend Heather turned up later wearing a brilliant handmade costume of the season two theme song. Once they let us inside, the next step was to form a snake line inside the lobby of the Orpheum. What we hadn't expected was for the entire building to have been transformed into a crazy ex-girlfriend-themed museum. I can't even explain how much this added to the atmosphere and was a huge surprise. Once we formed the snake line, an employee said we were free to roam and take pictures by all the CXG costumes and props, but I was afraid to venture outside the lobby before we were allowed to get seats. Heather and I took photos by the blue dress from the pilot, complete with sparkly heels, and the diagnosis dress, which are two of my favorites. The season two theme song dress had been displayed in a capsule at the front of the theater. The Lonely Lady Cat Store sign was just above us in line, and the Ye Old Covina sign was also in the lobby. The beloved West Covina sign was there too. Rebetzel's pretzels hung above the entrance to the bar lounge area, which was huge and full of more items on display, but I didn't want to venture in and miss getting good seats. And sure enough, only a few minutes later, they opened the doors and started moving us forward. This was an unusual theater on purpose because of filming in that there was a big empty space where the center section would typically be, but two rows of seats on either side. Then there was like this long stretch of empty space that spanned the entire ground floor where third and fourth row typically would be. And then after that, it was normal seating throughout the rest of the theater. So all that empty space in the front was for the cameras basically to move around and, you know, get shots of the audience and get the right angles from the stage and all of that sort of thing. We were able to move around and adjust seating choices on Friday night and could sit in the front row of the center section, which was amazing. A listener and patron of the podcast, Erin, introduced herself to me and we took a picture together. She was cosplaying as Rebecca with the Rebetzel's apron on. It was great to meet her in person. I also saw two sexy fashion cactus costumes. 
There were cheers from the crowd when Mrs. Chan, Josh's mom, walked in and took a seat in the audience, played by actress Amy Hill, of course. Donna Lynn's very young son was also in the audience, along with Gregor, Rachel's husband. Later, I learned on Twitter that Bane Gibby, who played Cornelia, was there Friday in the balcony. The second night, Rachel's parents were in the audience. That's one of the cool things about going to L.A. is you normally get all these extra people who were part of the show um, coming to support the cast. The show began with some of the cast in various parts of the audience, which none of us were expecting. Donna Lynn, Paula, and Vinny, Josh, came out on stage together singing Rebecca's part to No One Else Is Singing My Song. And when they sang But That's Impossible, other cast members echoed them from around the theater. Impossible, Scott Nathaniel from the aisle. Impossible, Pete Darrell from one side. Impossible, Gabrielle Valencia from the balcony box seats. Impossible, Esther Maya from the balcony box seats on the other side. We didn't know where all the cast members were hiding either, so all of us started looking around with interest. Danny George lied across a group of audience members like they were a bench. And after all the impossibles, then Rachel goes, or is it, walking out on stage. The crew had told us not to stand and applaud until she did. During the second night, Heather and I were in front row of the side section, but closest to the middle as we could be, considering they were side seats. In fact, being that close was a different experience altogether, and I'm glad I got to experience both. Anyway, on the second night, Skylar Aston came and hid on the floor by our seats. I had been turned the other way since someone else was singing Impossible behind us and had my legs crossed, so when I turned around to face the front, I almost kicked him. He really surprised me. Panther skills, that one. Both nights, the production stopped and started like a regular filming, but there were far more pauses Friday than Saturday. Although they they claim they're going to use footage from both performances, Friday felt more like a dress rehearsal, and in some cases, the cast members were even wearing different clothes. The crew also took staged audience shots of us uh, applauding at different levels, so sometimes we'd have to do it softly or politely, sometimes applaud enthusiastically, sometimes over-enthusiastically. They coached us to do some laughing shots even though the stage was empty. They also asked for some shocked laughter as if we weren't expecting something to happen. This was challenging because I didn't know for sure what they were going for or how they would edit it. Lynn, the woman who directed us both nights, seemed really nice and had a sense of humor. She seemed to get on with Rachel well, too. The theater was so loud that the cast couldn't hear their cues, and Lynn said she'd never seen an audience like this in all her years working with tapings. The cast was laughing because they realized their castmates weren't kidding when they actually got on stage themselves and couldn't hear. West Covina was the next number, complete with giant pretzel airlift. Rachel said it was the same pretzel that was used in the pilot, and she had to be strapped into it. There's a little seat that you can't see, and Josh just happens to be here. She said that the pretzel had been baking in the sun for four years, and is kind of falling apart. Gregor questioned whether Rachel would fall to her death, and she said something like, it's been nice knowing you, and hopped on. So the cast that took part in the TV special, there was Rachel, who plays Rebecca, of course, Donna Lynn, who plays Paula, Vinny, who's Josh, Gabrielle, Valencia, Bella, Heather, Skylar, who's new Greg, Scott, who plays Nathaniel, David as White Josh, Esther, who plays Maya, and Danny, who plays George, Burl, who plays Jim, and Michael, who plays Tim, and then Clark, who's AJ from fourth season, and then Jack and Adam, the songwriters, were also there, 
as well as other band members that, you know, I think a lot of us aren't as publicly familiar with, such as I think it was Ethan on drums, and I think that guy was also on tour with them when they did the live tour last year. So the first night, we had a comedian that was Rachel's friend during downtime. The second night, Aline, co-creator, came out between takes, running CXG trivia and taking questions from the audience, which was a lot of fun. I don't think or process very quickly, so I didn't want to try my hand at trivia and couldn't think of a good question to ask that quickly. By the time I thought of one for Aline, she'd moved on to asking questions of Jack and Adam. There was downtime that won't be in the actual TV special, but the cast would vamp to the audience, particularly Rachel. One time she talked about how she was paranoid her pubic hairs were showing through her leather leggings, because sometimes that happens. At least three times they had massive amounts of confetti explode after songs, but it was basically just large glitter, shiny and metallic, which made me laugh because of all the glitter references in CXG. They kept making jokes about Rachel having to clean it up, and Gabrielle and someone else from the cast ran out, each handing Rachel a large broom, so she ended up with two. She mimed sweeping, pathetically looking lost. Dare to defy, she sang uncertainly, which is a joke that will be lost on future generations, but at the moment it's something we hear in every single CW commercial, their network. During the second taping Saturday night, Rachel asked an itchy cat cosplayer to come on stage and help her clean up. Also during the second show, Heather and I ended up with glitter all over us because it hit the front row hard. It was in my hair, down my dress, all over my lap, even inside my pantyhose, and it happened at least three times. I even ended up with confetti on the floor of Harrison's apartment. Oddly, I don't think Sex with a Stranger was part of the sex medley they did later, but it was early in the set. When Rachel sang I Don't Even Know Your Name, it was Danny George who came on stage and interacted with Rachel. They used their real names for the TV special, oddly enough, even though they were still acting like their characters. So he said, it's Danny. He also came out juggling balls during the your balls smell weird part. Donna Lynn got to sing Maybe This Dream early on, too, in her beautiful blue gown. I think she enjoys singing this one because it's in her natural range and can show off her soprano voice. The screen behind Donna Lynn was of a castle in Gates, although I'm pretty sure the Gates said Lisa at the bottom, not sure why or what I'm missing. Just like on tour, after Donna Lynn's song, she got a standing ovation. She talked to her little boy from stage and went to check on him in the audience during Friday's show. Rachel and Jack had some banter before I'm a good person. She said, I just donated money to charity while I was backstage. Jack responded with something like, wow, Rachel, that's really good of you. What was the name of the charity? And she's like, children. Children, Jack questions her. Children, Rachel doubles down. And rivers. Children and rivers, Jack says. And what's the tax ID number for children? Oh, just shut up and do the stupid song, Rachel goes. On Friday night, Rachel asked a random audience member to tell her that she was a good person into the microphone during that point in the song. On Saturday, she had her parents do it. Her dad was wearing a sweatshirt with Rachel's three-year-old face on it that said, Daddy's Girl. And she came running up to them, Say it, say I'm a good person. And Rachel held the microphone up to them. Enthusiastically, her dad drowned at her mom, shouting, I'm a good person! Rachel cracked up laughing really hard. This did not seem to be a planned bit. She was practically crying with laughter. She, she's like, Dad, you screwed it up again. Don't say I'm a good person. Say you're a good person. So the crew started from a few beats back and went into it again. Rachel held out the mic, say I'm a good person. And her dad leans in and goes, I'm a good person. <laughs> Rachel starts laughing hysterically. And then she's finally like, Mom, hit him and tell him what to do. Uh, just to be clear, I don't condone domestic violence. They're very happy together. 
And finally, in the third try, Rachel's parents got it right. They're the best. They just seem like awesome people. They're so supportive. They all seem to have so much fun. Rachel introduced Let's Generalize About Men as a song that manages to be both feminist and anti-feminist at the same time. The girls all sang Let's Generalize Men pretty straight, but the new bit was Esther slash Maya, who joined them on stage with chin-length hair. She danced around them with a massive hairspray bottle almost as big as her. On Friday night, at the end of the song, where they sing Your Sons Are Gonna Be Rapists, Rachel had to assure Donna Lynn's tiny son from stage that he was not going to be a rapist. I'm not 100% sure of the song order at this point, but they did the sex medley pretty early in the show. They wheeled out a crimson bed with Rachel on it in lingerie, and she started singing part of the Sexy Getting Ready song. Then Vinny appeared from under the covers, and even at the second show, I forgot he was there because he was so well hidden. They launched into We Should Definitely Not Have Sex Right Now. Then from that, the Strip Away My Conscience music starts. This might have been the point where Michael was getting super into the dancing while wielding two electric toothbrushes. Rachel asks what he's doing, and he says, Electric toothbrushes are so sexy. That's what the song I sing is about. And then Rachel contradicts him and says, Actually, it's about pleasuring a woman. And Michael goes, What's a woman? Strip Away My Conscience involved dancers from the cast. If I'm remembering correctly, they included Clark, AJ, Gabrielle, Burl, who plays Jim, I believe, Vinny, Vela, maybe others. Clark was near me on the second night, and I remember noticing that he did a really nice job at the dancing here. I think this was the moment when Rachel gets a cringing look on her face and says something like, uh-oh, she quote-unquote got her period and launched into period sex, which I can't believe she got in there. You know, it's this obscure little, you know, we never got the whole version on the show. We got little bits and pieces. We saw her music video online. Well, they got it into the TV special. So amazing. When Gabrielle and Vela dance to this on either side of the bed and do a bend, you can see that they're both wearing pads over their clothes. Scott Nathaniel kicks everybody out and decides that he doesn't care, singing Let's Have Intercourse to Rachel. There's a bit where he asks if it's okay not to do the lift because he threw his back out, and Rachel agrees because she's too tired. After this, Michael and Burl, who are Tim and Jim, come running back on in the sperm outfits from My Sperm is Healthy. Rachel's sitting on the bed, and they basically go after her, one on either side. That's not how you get someone pregnant, Rachel countered. They're rubbing the tips of their sperm hats all over her head and shoulders. Rachel really started laughing as they tried to outdo each other. And then she told the audience, guys, it's okay because I'm their boss. Pete came on to do Gettin' By in his white suit with the purple accents. The cast quickly joined him with blow-up instruments like they did on tour. There was just more of them this time. Danny was hilarious with his guitar. He practically crumpled it up in his earnestness. Gabrielle did I'm So Good at Yoga, which was also similar to the tour in that the cast pretended to be in a yoga class. Gabrielle talked about bringing season one Valencia back. During the song, instead of singing Rebecca sucks, she sang Rachel Bloom sucks. Rachel was wearing her Harvard t-shirt that you see her wear in the show. Some were in different yoga clothes from Friday night to Saturday night. I think Donna Lynn still had a green sparkly top on Friday, whereas she was in more generic yoga clothes Saturday. It's nice to see these group ensembles where the non-regular cast can participate. They did the thing at the end that they did on tour where they danced around Rachel in a circle sticking their butts in her face, but nobody stood out or did something unique at the end this time. Vinny sang a medley of two very different songs, Head in the Clouds and Angry Mad. The latter surprised but delighted me as he hadn't done this one on tour, but it shows off his dancing so that makes sense. 
I was really excited that he did Angry Mad. It's such an obscure song, and it made me laugh so hard the first time I heard it. It perfectly encapsulates feelings that he doesn't know how to express. The cameras filmed Heather and me a ton on Friday night, right up in our faces, but we're not sure if they'll use the footage since it wasn't Saturday night. They did in the commercial, though. I couldn't stop smiling super huge the first night, to the point that it didn't even seem like smiling anymore. I felt like I couldn't control my mouth. I was so happy and enthralled to be there. It was one of the happiest moments I've ever had, honestly. Just very pure and untarnished. I felt so lucky to be experiencing the TV special live for the end of the series. I'm slow. I don't normally get to be part of things in real time like this. By the time I find a show, it's usually ending. I'm grateful to have had the experience and for all of us to be immortalized in the TV special in their final episode. David and Scott do fit hot guys at some point. On Friday night, Scott and David really flubbed everything multiple times to the sound of much laughter. I don't completely remember all the things they did wrong, but one of them came in the wrong entrance and then something else happened. And finally, they actually start singing, and Scott forgets lyrics or comes in at the wrong time or something. And he's like, was that me again? Oh, man, I'm sorry. And they had to start all over again. It was really fun. We, we, you know, we as an audience always like mistakes. So Pete comes in at the end of that song in the firefighter's uniform like he did on tour. It's good that people who weren't able to make the tour are going to be able to see some of this stuff professionally recorded. I know Kat was amazing and filmed the whole thing on her phone once, but a professional recording will let everyone see even better and they can hold on to it. At the end of Fit Hot Guys, Skylar comes out grumbling, Hey guys, why'd you do that whole thing without me? I know I was filming in Vancouver and couldn't make the rehearsals, but come on, I didn't get to be in hardly any of the show. Whatever, I hate this. And then he launches into I hate everything but you. And this song is so good live. It's so funny. Skylar has such a good affectation in his voice. I love the bits where he shouts even more examples. It was really nice to see him sing live, you know, since this is our first time with Skylar. Closer to the end of the show, Danny does George's turn, but in keeping with them using their real names, it becomes Danny's turn. He tells the crew to give me your best lights, and they do, a series of lights shaped like megaphones that all turn towards him at the same time. He sings, Danny won't be ignored, Danny won't be interrupted. He got past the part where he was cut off in the original and looks, sounds thrilled. Shortly after that, all the lights and sound go out and he throws a temper tantrum. I love that they included so much of the cast, not just the regulars, but all the other characters we've grown to know and love. Rachel sang a medley of The Darkness slash You Stupid Bitch, which was a nice pairing. The cameras circled around with a spotlight on her. The Darkness is so powerful live, and it was the first we'd heard it since it's a season four song. You Stupid Bitch is perfect to sing live since it's very meta. It's incredibly emotional for Rachel to sing it to herself and the audience to sing it to her and maybe themselves. Afterwards, she comes out to intro a song in a beautiful golden gown, one of her best looks. Rachel jokes that she didn't want to wear it for Stupid Bitch because she wanted to seem like one of the people and not above anyone. She also jokes that it was itchy and uncomfortable. This might have been the point when they pull Vela on stage and she's reluctant because she's not a Broadway singer like some of the cast. Oh no, you can just skip me, she says. She sings The Moment Is Me, but instead of the background dancers like in the show, David Hull does all the choreography, and it is the best thing ever. 
I mean, just to see White Josh bounce around with a huge manic grin on his face the entire time, doing dance moves fully around Vela as close to her as possible, and they are the dumbest, most over-the-top moves ever. He stands in front of her and pretends to be a clock with a crazy grin when she sings the clock just keeps on ticking. He does these jerky robotic dance movements and the grin never leaves his face. You have to see it to get the full effect, but it was so funny. Then Rachel goes into healthier songs, including a medley of diagnosis and antidepressants are so not a big deal. They had Rachel start diagnosis again when they had a tech problem and she was like, I was in the zone, you'll never get that back. When antidepressants starts, Michael Hyatt, who plays Dr. Copian, comes out on stage. This was a surprise appearance, and it was wonderful to see her live when I never have before. She's got such a fantastic voice. Much of the cast comes out to tap dance with her. I know Michael and Burl, i.e. Tim and Jim, were in there, and I believe Clark slash AJ, too. Michael was the happy homemaker in this version. This is one of the best songs from season four, in my opinion. The encore was heavy boobs, just like it was during the live tour. Rachel takes off her shirt and dances in her bra, while the rest of the cast comes out with bras over their shirts. At the end of Saturday's show, they don't want it to end, and somehow post-filming, this launches into Adam singing Stacy's Mom, and Rachel hears this and comes back on stage to sing it with him. Adam, of course, was in Fountains of Wayne, the band that did this song years ago. Rachel remembered all the words. She was like, I'm sorry, I know we probably don't have time for this, but... Because, of course, we had camera people running all over the place. We had, you know, Lynn kind of running the show. We, we had a lot of people working on this. You know, it wasn't just a standard concert. You know, they, they were employing a lot of people. But you know what? They sing Stacy's Mom anyway. They had to retake a couple shots at the very end of the show on Saturday of Pete and Esther singing Impossible. So they kind of recreated that moment. We heard from the cast online that they didn't plan to meet fans Friday night because they had to save their voices for the Saturday night show. I was getting a ride to Harrison's with Heather too, so would leave when she did. But after the Friday taping was over, I ventured to the bathroom before leaving and, well, actually the bathroom was pretty wild too. It was downstairs in the basement which had dark wood paneling and felt sort of like a creepy haunted house. Nathaniel's suit and Rebecca's red dress from the Masquerade episode were on display there and they had a bathroom playlist going on loop. It's pretty amazing how many bathroom songs CXG has. Stuck in the bathroom, where's the bathroom, the buzzing from the bathroom, all of these eerily played on repeat when you got to the basement bathrooms, which was so clever. I laughed a lot at that. Anyway, after I climbed the stairs back to the main level, the first person I ran into was actually Vinny. I wasn't sure if he'd remember me from the home base after show party last year, but kind of went in like we'd met before. I felt pretty comfortable chatting with him since I'd already met and talked with him prior and was still glowing and excited from the TV special, as was he. We both raved about it and Vinny said it was really surreal and overwhelming, but in a good way and he was so jazzed to be a part of it. We naturally gave each other a hug. I mentioned how deeply the show had impacted me, that I'd had a Josh Chan as well, and that it was really cathartic and therapeutic to go through this whole experience. Vinny was so kind and genuinely present. I congratulated him on getting cast in a different show, Insatiable, which will be his next project, and said I was really looking forward to watching the cast and whatever they did in future. This is how to stretch out a fandom. Watch them in other projects, write and read fanfic, podcast about it, which of course re involves rewatching the show, have fan events. I just hope other people are game for keeping the fandom alive too. In many ways, I'm okay with Crazy Ex-Girlfriend ending because I'm so busy. Taking the real-time element off the table wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, even though I've enjoyed it so much. Every Friday night, I watch CXG and then take to Twitter and Reddit especially, as well as 
chat with my CXG LA group. The cast likes and replies back on Twitter, and I get into great discussions with fans on Reddit. In fact, I unknowingly met a lot of the Reddit people while standing in line, only learning their Reddit screen names later. I'm so engaged in those Friday nights, even though I'm alone at home. And I think that's kind of one of the parts I'll miss the most, actually, is that that, that real-time experience of everyone kind of coming together, watching the episode, responding to the episode, getting excited, having all these discussions. That's just the synthesis of all of that coming together is something I will miss. I can always rewatch the show. I can always talk about it with people, but it was just very heightened on Friday nights. Anyhow, when I ran into Vinny, I wasn't sure if people were doing photos yet, so I just chatted with him. Once I got further into the lobby, I realized people definitely were snagging the actors for pictures, though. Naturally, I was only running into people I'd already met and gotten pictures with last year, but I took the opportunity to get a picture with Danny Jollis again. Then Fei-Fei and I saw Skylar Aston, and obviously none of us have gotten photos with him yet. I caught him just as he was about to go into the lounge, which had become a VIP lounge uh, post-show, and he was kind enough to pause and consciously, enthusiastically stop and take a photo with me. I then tapped Fei-Fei on the shoulder, encouraging her forward, and asked if she could have one too, so we both caught him before he went in. I lost everybody else in the sea of people, but was happy to have caught a few of the cast members. When I got back to Harrison's place, I watched that night's new Crazy Ex-Girlfriend episode, I'm Finding My Bliss, on my travel laptop. Ironically, the diehard fans and the cast had been at the taping that Friday night, so none of us could watch the episode live. On Saturday, March 16th, pretty much all of our CXGLA group, except for Lauren, who lives out of state, and Donna, who I have actually never met in person yet, everyone except for those two was planning to attend the TV special. Nicole and Harrison waited with me in line, and Nicole introduced me to Tanner. For Saturday, I wore the exact white dress that Rebecca wore in Season 3, Episode 1, when she decided to get revenge on Josh after he abandoned her at the wedding. She also had red lipstick and dark hair, so I was set. Nicole was dressed as new Greg from I Hate Everything But You. By mid-afternoon, more of our friends had arrived, Vince, Lisa, and Heather. I was able to chat with them a little bit, but felt progressively sicker and more lightheaded as the day went on and the sun beat down. I'd been doing this grueling line scenario for like two days straight, and it actually went fast, and I loved seeing cosplays and chatting with people, but I think by this point my body was starting to wear down, probably wasn't getting enough sleep either. I had a headache, felt like I might throw up, could barely think straight. I just needed to get cooler because it was getting pretty hot out there. I spent some time at the air-conditioned cafe and drank glass after glass of their free water. I was feeling kind of sick to my stomach, but after a while, I was able to return to the line. The group of people who were also at the Covina show and after party last year with the Let's Generalize About Men costumes turned up. Uh, this time, the girls were wearing the skeleton dresses from the Halloween episode, which I was so excited that somebody did a cosplay of that. One of the guys was in a skeleton suit, and two other guys were in the blue sperm jogging suits again. I loved their costumes, and they were very complimentary about my dress. We got some pictures with them. We met a lot of great people in line. I, I'm sure I didn't get everybody's name, but I kind of went through and talked to a lot of the cosplayers and took a lot of photos of everybody who's in cosplay, and it was just a great experience all around. Being in the line is actually a lot of fun. Once we were inside the lobby at the venue, I waited in the snake line until they let us in to get our seats. But everything was different from Friday. This time they were very clearly directing people to sit in specific places and it wasn't just having everybody fill in rows. Some people were told to sit in the front center, others were directed to the third row. 
and still others were given the front side seats. It wasn't really done in order. Heather and I went up to the employee together and she told the two of us to sit in the very front row, which was the left side section. Um, this front row was different from the center front row where we were the night before. That was further back with open space in front of it. On Saturday night, we found ourselves so close we could touch the stage. The rest of our CXGLA group friends had all gotten placed in third row, so they actually did split us up. Once we had our seats, though, I was finally able to see the CXG-themed museum. I went into the large lounge, checking out the various costumes. So they had Rebecca's wedding dress, the sexy fashion cactus costume, which is one of my favorites, the skeleton dress, they had her uh, Rebecca's You Stupid Bitch dress, and then there's a white sequin short outfit that she wore in Sex with a Stranger. They also had the long periwinkle gown from the second face of the season three theme song, and Rebecca's dress from The Group Mind Has Decided You're in Love. They also had props like a giant pretzel, not the giant pretzel, but a pretty big one, multiple signs, pictures, and a menu from Rebetzel's. They had a sign from Sugarface, the donut shop, and my personal favorite, the butter billboard that said, when was the last time you were truly happy? Upstairs, there was the we'll never have problems again outfit, which is one of my favorite costumes, and the turkey bra outfit from the Thanksgiving episode. I have mostly described what the second show was like in the course of describing the differences between it and the first show, so let's move on to what happened afterwards. This time, the venue had really kicked into gear and was much stricter with the audience. They kind of shuffled all of us out as quickly as possible, and security made a human line to usher the cast from the theater doors across the lobby to the VIP lounge area. It was like the venue kind of learned overnight how to control the situation. All the same, it sounded more likely that the cast would come out on Saturday night, so we went around to the back parking lot stage door area. Just as we were walking up, Cat Burns came around the corner. Kat is the choreographer of the show, of course. I told her she just exudes this positive, optimistic presence. It's very unique and rare, and just every time I see her, you know, whether in person or on the screen, you know, she's just, I don't know, kind of glowing. She, she's just got an aura about her. And we'd also seen Kat's mom briefly when we were in line. She'd stopped and chatted with a few people. I was really happy to have met Kat since I hadn't had the pleasure yet. There was a small roadblock so cars couldn't come in a certain way, and it was around this roadblock that we saw Danny and Skylar. I'd already gotten a picture with Danny, though I think some of my friends took some, and then when Skylar saw Nicole's new Greg cosplay, he flipped out and got really excited. He exclaimed, I got one, jubilantly. He actually handed me his phone so that I could take pictures of them together for him, and Skylar later put them on his Instagram. I took another picture with Skylar after that since mine had been pretty shadowy and somewhat blurry. Skylar was incredibly nice. I was very impressed by him and it did to some extent change how I feel about new Greg. It was a hard transition to have somebody else play the character other than Santino Fontana when Greg returned to West Covina. Skylar absolutely gave it his all and you could tell he was really mimicking mannerisms and voice. So there were moments when I found it convincing, but other times when it took me out of it and didn't feel like original Greg. It's not on Skylar at all. The creative choice it's incredibly challenging for anyone to step into. But meeting him, Skylar was so gracious, and he seemed genuinely excited and grateful to be there. He seemed to care whether the fans accepted him or not, and has committed 100% to the cast. Technically, an actor's personality shouldn't have an impact on how believable their role is. The TV show should be able to stand alone. But it did help me all the same. 
Skylar seems truly invested in the character. Pete Gardner, who plays Daryl, also came outside and willingly joined Skylar and Danny, so we were able to get photos with him again, too. We also saw Renee Goubet and Aline at different times. They walked past us through the middle of the small group who had gathered, but I felt reluctant to bother either one of them, as they seemed to be more in a hurry or might not have had time to talk with fans right then. I could be perceiving this totally wrong, but I just wasn't sure. A couple people did stop them for pictures, and I do hope I'm able to take photos with them at some point when the time is right. Renee's done a great job being both a writer and an actor on the show. Everybody loves the Father Bra character. After a bit, everyone seemed to have cleared out, but at some point in the stage door process, I'd heard that Rachel was going to come out around the front. I can't for the life of me remember like where or who I heard this from because it kind of happened in the middle of everything, but I thought it might be good to go back to the front entrance. We ran into some of our other friends there who were also waiting. And we weren't disappointed. We seemed to have pretty good timing with both ends of this. Vela Lavelle, who plays Heather, emerged in a long tan coat. Vela is another one of those cast members I had not yet met, as she was doing a play when the cast went on tour last year, so I was very excited. She actually exclaimed over my cosplay and recognized it immediately. We took a photo together, although out here we were plagued by shadows. All the photos right in front of the theater were kind of rough. Very shortly after, Gabrielle came out as well, and she and Bella are good friends in real life now, and fans got even more excited when they saw Gabrielle. The two of them posed for a couple of pictures with people, but then had everyone kind of jump in for a group one before they left for the private after party. Just like it was a finale or something, Rachel came out last after everyone had gone. She was wearing the beautiful gold gown that she'd worn on stage. It's one of my favorite looks for her. She was gorgeous. Rachel, as usual, was incredibly nice and made sure everyone got a photo with her. Of course, there was a mad rush, and in the haste, many people failed to notice David Hull scuttle out. I'd never met David, who plays White Josh, either, so made sure to ask him for a picture. I don't normally see him interact with fans as much, so figured I ought to take a chance. Many of our friends didn't even realize he was there at all and were surprised to hear we'd met him later on. Rachel remembered me from the home base after party last year, which surprised me and recalled that Harrison and Vince were part of our group. We let Rachel know that Harrison was the guy who did Bagels After Midnight, the YouTube channel, and she was excited to meet him. I encouraged Harrison to take a photo with Rachel since he hadn't gotten one ever. Ironically, the Orpheum turned the bright lights on right after that. It would have been perfect for photos then. I think that might have been when Rachel had all of us do a big group picture and her agent took it. So we went home very happy indeed. It was an absolutely incredible couple days, and afterwards I could finally relax, no more worrying about getting good seats or standing in line or meeting the cast. It's also a little nerve-wracking, like it's fun, but it's also nerve-wracking. I will treasure the opportunity to see that filming live forever. Now I'm hearing that it was much longer than the 40 or 45 minutes it was supposed to be with commercials, and they have to painstakingly edit it down. Inevitably, there will be parts we experienced in person that won't air, plus all the breaks when they interacted with the audience. I spent the next day with our CXGLA group at Heather's house where we rewatched the latest episode, I'm Finding My Bliss, and chatted about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and other things. We took an awkward family photo. Afterwards, four of us who still had time got dinner at a ramen place. I actually had a dog emergency on my trip as well, which never happened before. I got a call around 5 in the morning that Monday due to the time difference. It was pretty early and learned from the dog sitter that my dog's paw was bleeding and he was missing part of his paw pad. It took a bit of convincing to get the sitter to leave her field work early so she could get to the vet that day. And even then when he went in, the vet didn't wrap it for some reason. So 
my dog bled a little bit for five days straight. I tried to wrap it twice when I got home and my dog kept kicking it off. Finally, a day later, it, the bleeding stopped at last. The vet said his feet were sensitive since he doesn't like going out for walks during winter, so he was kind of readjusting to walking on the sidewalk. But yeah, definitely not what you want to hear when you're on vacation. My dog's doing fine now, though. After I sorted out the dog emergency, I met up with my new friend Feifei and we got meals at the LA Farmer's Market and visited LACMA, an art museum in LA. Farmer's Market was so much fun too. If you guys go back to LA, that was a really fun place to go. They had so many choices, lots of food, anything you could ever want to eat there. Harrison, Nicole, Vince, and I all met up for dinner again on Monday evening. And the next day, Nicole and I went to Knott's Berry Farm, the amusement park. I'd never been there, so it had been on my list for a while. Funnily enough, some of the general sightseeing I do ends up retroactively connected to CXG. I went to Griffith Park Observatory on one of my previous trips, and now they've used it in an episode. And recently, the cast went to Knott's Berry Farm. This was such a fun place. Going on a weekday, the lines were really reasonable. There's a roller coaster called Accelerator that looks kind of crazy. It's a sheer 100% vertical ride up top and then a sheer 100% vertical ride down. But the whole coaster is over in 20 seconds. Hang time turned out to be my favorite. I'd never been on a dive coaster before where they sort of hang you over the side, which is shaped like a wave when you get to the top and then you don't know when you'll go down. But when you do, you go over the crest of the wave and then inward again as you're heading down the slope, which is completely vertical from there on out. This adds like an extra element to the straight drop, which is even more of an adrenaline rush in my opinion, because that dread um, or anticipatory feeling is often worse or scarier than the actual experience. I also recommend Ghost Rider if you guys ever go to Knott's Berry Farm. It's a long wooden coaster that was the most popular with crowds, even though it wasn't new like hang time. I wondered why, and turns out it's a fun ride that goes on far longer than any roller coaster I've ever been on. You go underneath wooden planks, kind of like an open-air tunnel. We also did kitty rides once we finished the best coasters, like Flying Swings and the Scrambler. Then we went to TGI Fridays and got giant pretzels. It was a really fun day. On my last day in LA, I went to the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and Jane the Virgin Paley Fest panel. I'd heard online that most of the time the audience would rush the stage after the panel was over, and the cast would stay and take photos with people who were on the ground floor. Erin, listener and patron of the podcast, was also there, but they wouldn't let her come down to fill in the empty seats around me in the front row. Right before the cast came out, they played a never-before-seen clip of the song from that coming Friday's episode, a reprise of Math of Love Triangles. I loved how Rebecca came in with the fancy dress and her bra still sticking out. I'll do a recap of Paley Fest, but you guys can actually watch this yourself if you go to the Paley Center website and pay $2. It's about 50 minutes long. Rachel and Aline came out in matching t-shirt dresses that looked like pill bottles. Donna Lynn, meanwhile, wore the sparkly red dress with a red cardigan that she wore for his status as preferred. It's a really good look on her. The cast members present were Gabrielle, Scott, Donna Lynn, Aline, Rachel, Jack, Pete, Vela, and Kat. It was an interesting mix of behind-the-scenes people alongside of the cast. Both Vinny and Skylar couldn't make it because they were off filming new projects already. I learned that Rachel and Aline first met just weeks before I got together with my own Josh Chan. My story really did parallel Rebecca's in real time. Rachel talked about how she'd tried to pitch two other TV shows before this, but no one wanted them. She also gave us a hot tip. Don't sing when pitching because you're in a small office and then you're just staring at the other people in the room close up, face to face, and people start getting uncomfortable. 
She said when her agents called and told her that Aline Brash McKenna wanted to meet with her, they sounded nervous. Like, don't fuck this up, don't fuck this up, Rachel added. Aline says, uh, Rachel doesn't like people to say she's cute, so I'll say she was adorable when she first met her. Um, she had no makeup on. Rachel had a bob and glasses, and Aline thought, oh, she's a fellow writer girl rather than an actress vibe. Rachel added that when writers listen, it's sort of like head nod, head nod, but when actors listen, it's more like big eyes, staring, looking all around. She mimed all of this, and it was really funny. And then she realized that was really insulting to everyone up here, and Pete went, just a little bit. Donna Lynn spoke about learning how to film a TV program because she'd come from Broadway. She said, I'd say season one through episode six, I needed to wear Depends every day. She talked about how she didn't realize how much she'd relied on the audience in live theater until she was filming Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and nobody was allowed to make a sound while taping. So she had no idea if she was being funny or not. She said, when I would do something and there was no laughter, I was so insecure. Plus, the show didn't even air until they were filming episode 7, the His Status is Preferred episode. She said she was in a lockbox of terror until she actually started getting public feedback. But Donna Lynn concluded that there's so many talented people on the show that she could come out in a coma and still be fine. When the interviewer called out Pete to take his turn, he said, let me see if I get this right, and proceeded to act like a distracted actor who stared, like Rachel had joked about. Rachel said, I'm never going to hear the end of this for the next 20 years. And Pete said, no, the next 20 minutes. Pete talked about how he borrowed from improvisation. He said one of the rules in that is make your partner look good, put your focus on your partner. And he also said, if this show had been competitive, I would have gone down early. Rachel said her typical line about, I love my daughter, but not in a creepy way. But in the first version, it kind of did sound like he wanted to fuck his daughter. If you've got the video, watch Pete's face on this one when she says that. It's so funny. The interviewer said, Jack has worn many hats, but only one outfit Aline tacked on. It's funny, I was actually thinking this before they said something, that every time I see Jack, he's in jeans with his jean jacket. They talked about Vela going to Juilliard. Vela discussed filming the third episode where Rebecca has a party at her house, and she said, I didn't know when the camera wasn't on you, you didn't go full out. Heather was supposed to be writing in a notebook everything that Rebecca was doing, and I fully filled up that notebook. I think Kat was wearing a pretzel necklace. I could be wrong, but that's what it looked like. They had her explain what game was in the context of improv, which is find the unusual thing and heighten it. They talked about how Kat's choreography on The Moment Is Me completely, utterly heightened the comedy. Aline talked about how Scott had been doing a lot of dramas before Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and he was a little bit more serious than some of our actors, is what Aline said. And again, watch Scott and Donalyn's faces at this point. They were both making the what face. Uh, Aline also talked about how she came to Scott privately and said they were going to do a storyline where Nathaniel shits his pants. But also said, if you're uncomfortable with that, we'll rewrite it, which I think is really freaking cool of her. Scott said, I thought I was going to get fired. Shit my pants. Yeah, I'll shit my pants. Esther sent Alina a card saying thank you for a bunch of things, and one of them was, thank you for making the Hawkeye shit his pants. Scott added, I'm just happy to be called the Hawkeye. Rachel said if they did the Broadway version of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, it would be a retelling and condensed version, not something new, which makes sense. Rachel said, I'm probably going to be bothering the cast to do live shows for the next 50 years, which sounds fine with me. 
the interviewer asked what they'd do if they could spend the day with their character, which I thought was an interesting question. Donna Lynn said she'd take Paula to a spa. She deserves it. She needs a break. Vela said she'd smoke pot with Heather and eat a burrito. Pete said he'd take some dance classes with Daryl. Gabrielle said she'd take Valencia to yoga class and then have donuts at the Chinese place. Scott said, I'd take my guy to the zoo, which got a big cheer. And he said he'd also play a little water polo. And Rachel, the interviewer asked. I'd fuck her, Rachel said immediately, and Helene just about died laughing. I'd be interested to see what she's got going on. And then Jack went, what do you mean going on? Don't you know? Rachel said, but then it's also myself, so there's a navel-gazing to it, literally. She made a little motion like she was going in. And Jack said, if you're staring into the navel, you're in the wrong spot. Rachel also said, I expect she'd be better in bed than I am. People were starting to laugh and question her, and Rachel went, who doesn't want to have sex with themselves? Oh, am I the only person? Next, they asked uh, what each cast member's favorite song was from the show. Gabrielle said, let's generalize about men. She said they had a group text between the four girls about how they kept finding glitter for months after that. Scott also agrees with Let's Generalize About Men, and he has a favorite type of song, which is when they're all together, like Group Mind and Where's Rebecca Bunch. Donna Lynn said Math of Love Triangles, and I think it was Kat who said hers too. Donna Lynn also said Settle For Me, some of those old classic ones, really great. And Aline said the one she blasts in the car is First Penis. When they got to Rachel, she said, I gotta say, this is all making my heart kind of hurt. This is the first time we're talking about the show in the past tense. Now that we finished the concert, the show actually is in the past tense. It's very weird. And that really hit me hard, seeing her process that for, you know, one of the first times. Rachel said every song is, you know, her favorite, but what's coming to her right now is Villain in My Own Story. It's a character song that has to do with her arc, and she said she loves fucked up Disney parodies, of course. She also has a good memory associated with it. Because the night before they filmed it, she won the Golden Globe. And then she came to set and shot that song. They were going to put the Golden Globe in the background of the music video, but I guess the line producer said they get sued. Rachel talked about how, you know, one moment she's in the gown getting the Golden Globe, and then the next moment she's getting a prosthetic nose put on. Aline discussed how the cast is fans of each other and would come to set in support even if they weren't filming. Bella came to see Fit Hot Guys, and everyone laughed. Bella explained, I thought the whole cast was going to show up. Kat loved antidepressants are so not a big deal for her favorite song, which fits her so well. Lots of dancing in that one. Pete said, it's whatever one happens to be playing at that moment. Kat said they were all singing Apple Man during Knott's Berry Farm. Pete talked about getting by and how a young woman had come up to him and said that she didn't know how to explain it to her parents, so she played the song for them and said, that's me. Pete said just to be a part of that means a lot to him. Jack talked about his own mental health challenges, and because he got to write one of those crucial episodes and dig into it in the writer's room, and also directed one where Rebecca was really dealing with that stuff head on, it all affected Jack's own personal life. Rachel and Jack talked about meeting Mel Brooks. Mel was joking about how people usually paid for meet and greets, and Jack reached into his pocket and said, oh, this is a shakedown. Mel looked at him and said, the way you're dressed, you'll never have enough. <laughs> Jack just can't win with that, uh, that jean jacket, I guess. The interviewer mentioned a reboot or reunion of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend in 20 years, and Rachel said 10. She'd clearly already thought about it. 
Rachel said she has the pitch, but she can't say it because we have to see the finale first. She said she doesn't think it's a reboot, it's a TV movie on Hallmark. The Crazy Ex-Girlfriend panel was split with the Jane the Virgin panel, since both shows are wrapping up on The CW. I didn't rent that one to rewatch, so I'm just going off a poor memory. I had not seen Jane the Virgin, but it was on my list, so when I found out that I'd be at the panel, I started binging it just this past month. I only got through first season and a few episodes of season two, although now I'm already into season three, but I'm enjoying it. It's very original and innovative, and there are definitely some things that remind me of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. There's also a similar relationship between that show's creator, Jenny, and her star, Gina Rodriguez, as there is between Aline and Rachel. The key thing here is that they both have female showrunners. The cast present at the Jane the Virgin panel, um, it was Jenny the showrunner, Gina Rodriguez, who plays Jane, Andrea Nevedo, Lucia Mara. Oh, I'm going to pronounce their names wrong. I'm really new to this. I, like I said, I just got into Jane the Virgin, but Jaime Camille, uh, which is Rogelio, uh, Justin Baldoni, which is Raphael, Yale Grabglass, who plays Petra, Brett Dier, Michael, and Anthony Mendez, the narrator. Um, I'm going to call them partially by their character names since I'm still learning and probably not everyone who's seen Crazy Ex-Girlfriend has also seen Jane. I was very impressed with this cast too, though. They had such a great rapport with each other. Gina slash Jane was very well-spoken, whereas Brett Michael was the opposite and stated it verbally. He talked about being socially awkward and how he had thoughts and things to say. He just had trouble getting his words out. Boy, did I relate to that. You don't always see actors who feel this way in interviews, and it was nice to see something different. Just because you're a good actor doesn't necessarily mean you're going to become adept at improv or public speaking without lines. The interviewer asked a question where she went on the line and asked everybody, and that's when Michael couldn't manage to get words out and started rambling, so other cast members jumped in to cut him off and steer it back around. Then when somebody else spoke, I think it was actually Raphael, Justin, he was so eloquent that Michael couldn't help but jump in and be like, that's what I was trying to say, and everybody laughed. Brett slash Michael says he plays video games a lot. He does seem like a nerd, not sure if that's accurate or not. I, I've never really like paid attention to these actors before, but I like that. The narrator is typically a voice actor, and his regular voice is different from his show voice, whereas Rogelio sounds just like his character in real life. Justin slash Raphael was surprisingly serious and thoughtful, at least in this particular interview. I had no idea that Yale slash Petra was actually from Israel. It's because of the show that she was able to move to the U.S. permanently as a resident. If you're also not caught up on Jane the Virgin, you may want to skip the next minute because I'm going to talk about how I got spoiled. I'll give you a few seconds here. So the awkward thing about the Jane panel was that they showed a clip beforehand, but rather than a preview of season five, it was a summation of what had already happened. I tried not to watch here and there, but within the span of 30 seconds, learned that Michael dies and also somehow comes back to life. The actor returns anyhow. That's all we knew, you know, right on the precipice of going to, into season five. Um, I think that's the only thing that was spoiled, but it's a pretty big thing. I'm going to have to catch up fast. Gina slash Jane kept getting emotional and almost crying, which it sounds like she does often based on the audience reaction. After the panel was over, everybody rushed the stage, and the actors from Jane the Virgin came to the edge of the stage to sign autographs and take photos. The stage was very tall, though. I got a spot in the front, but the stage came up to my neck. So it's definitely awkward trying to take photos, especially when it got to the point that there were so many people pressing up against each other that I literally couldn't move my arms. 
the actors had to hold people's cameras and phones and take the selfies themselves. It was incredibly hard to get anyone's attention in this environment, even in the front. It was pretty chaotic and random. Rogelio, Jane, and Raphael were all nearby at points, but I wasn't able to get a selfie. Finally, Zumara took my new camera and attempted to take a couple, but sadly she must not have pushed the button all the way down because I didn't actually get any photos from it. Um, I myself was learning how to use the camera as well, though, because it was brand new, so I don't fault her for it. She was very nice. I think I was in some people's group shots, though I'll have to search the hashtag and see if I can find anything. As the cast left, I asked security if Crazy Ex-Girlfriend was coming out, and he said they already left right after their part of the panel. This was a bit disappointing, as I was hoping to get a picture with Rachel in better light and possibly Alina at last, but I'd luckily gotten to meet the cast after the TV special, so it wasn't like I was going home without. I found Erin afterwards, and we chatted a little bit and took a picture together. I thanked her for supporting the podcast because, honestly, I'm not getting support from a partner or best friend or those integral relationships in one's life anymore, so stuff like this is an especially big deal and it means a lot. Now that I'm home, the CXG fandom and cast have been having a love fest online lately. Lots of chatting and interactions. Seems like something we all need right now with the show ending. I'm continually amazed at how kind and supportive everyone has been to each other. I think among other factors, the fact that this is still a relatively small community plays into it. Of course, everyone wants to have more and more success, but what I've seen from past experiences with other um, fandoms and actors and musicians, we're already in the sweet spot right now, and that goes for the cast too. It's the perfect balance at the moment. Bigger fandoms inevitably have more issues over time. More success can lead to more stress, overwhelm, and sometimes people changing. So to be able to sit back and say, it's good right now, in the present, that's rare. Since we're going into the finale this week, I also wanted to have a segment where the CXG community shared their personal preferred endings for all the characters. This isn't what they think the creators will do, just how they would end it in an ideal world. In some cases, if they're long, comments might be edited down a bit. Get Down on Twitter says, Rebecca in a job that makes her happy and best makes use of her intellect and passions. Josh breaks out as an underwear model. Valencia with an elaborate and perfect proposal. Heather and Hector collaborate in a super successful relationship podcast. I really like that last idea, especially Heather and Hector would be awesome on a podcast together, and they both would probably have some really interesting things to say about relationships. JJ Dasher on Reddit says they'd love for Greg to make good on what he said in the Taco Festival episode way back in season one and actually throw glitter at Rebecca's dad. That's kind of a line not everybody remembers, but I thought that was a great line. Um, And she actually wrote a short fanfic about it, and I'll post the link in the show notes. Torin102 on Reddit says her ideal ending would be Daryl and White Josh back together as the group mind has decided. Somebody had to say it, guys. <laughs> I know there's still some supers out there. Alchemy Potato on Reddit says, for me, an ideal ending wouldn't be focused on her romantic life. It would be focused on her friendships in musical theater. If she ended up dating anyone, I would have introduced it earlier in the season in a non-dramatic fashion, and it would be with someone new, not one of the main three guys. Yeah, that is something I've said consistently that I really agree with her dating somebody, you know, kind of halfway through and learning how to be in a relationship so that we actually see what 
it's like for her to learn how to be in a relationship and work through those things as the commitment grows and but to not have that be the point or the happy ending just to have that be something that happens in season four I think that's definitely how I would have done it um although you know what we haven't seen the finale yet so you never know what they have up their sleeve and uh you know we may be really pleased with it Alchemy Potato goes on to say, my final point would be that the way we think of happiness is flawed. It's really contentment and not that feeling like glitter is exploding inside of you as that isn't sustainable. Miffy Mango on Reddit says, in short, Rebecca ends up in a happy career as an entertainment industry lawyer running her own business. Future relationship plans with Nathaniel, who's also thriving in his career and going on great holidays with Rebecca. And in the final episode, they get two puppies from a rescue pound. I think that would be right up Rachel Bloom's alley. And then they say Josh to win some cash and buy his own home and start studying teaching to inspire students. Greg to continue running his restaurant and find romance with Valencia, who continues her business in West Covina. I had never heard um, of a Greg Valencia shipper before, so I asked asked them a little bit about that. Um, I thought that was really interesting to put those two together. Paul, Heather, and Hector's current storyline is awesome. Miffy Mango goes on to say, want to see them continue to thrive and go on some adventure holidays with their families. Daryl to find a professional well-off partner who can support him while he takes part-time work on so we can play a bigger role in Hebby's upbringing. And White Josh is a protein bar entrepreneur who has his own spin-off show when he moves to Hawaii. Yeah, I can see him as a Hawaii guy. Hello, Kalal, who on Reddit says, it's not necessary for Rebecca to end up with a particular romantic partner. It's more important that she she's an appropriate epiphany about her career and relationship to theater first. Romance can complement that, but it shouldn't become an end itself that defines her. None of these current three bows are necessarily bad choices at this point, given the progress all three have demonstrated, but I'd rank Greg as probably the best person to understand that and work within the new paradigm she's defining for her life. But again, that's optional. It's also cool if the show ends with her unattached but optimistic. She understands that the friendships she's established have helped make her a better person and helped her manage her borderline tendencies. Very well said. And then they go on to say Nathaniel would make peace with where Rebecca's going, but more importantly with himself. Um, he would sign up for therapy. And whether he meets an alternative to Rebecca is optional and less important. For Josh, they say uh, he should open up a new karate dojo, which I like that. I can definitely see Josh teaching karate, especially like to kids. I think that would make him pretty happy. It combines two of his interests. And Josh would also make peace with where Rebecca is going. He realizes he wasn't so much in love with Rebecca as in love with their new relationship as friends who've forgiven each other. And then they go on to say that Valencia would accept that marriage isn't the end-all be-all of life and returns to New York with her girlfriend. Greg, possibly romantically attached to Rebecca, but regardless decides to revive his father's restaurant. Um, maybe he has to return to Emory to finish his degree and his relationship with Rebecca could be a temporary long distance thing. Paula just continues thriving as an attorney with her family. White Josh starts his own company marketing protein bars. Daryl, his new romance works out and he establishes the family life he always wanted. Doesn't abandon mountaintop but works at a diminished capacity. Spends more time with Hebby and his older daughter. Um, and then they say that he Hector and Heather are a super cute couple and Heather would get promoted to corporate leadership as Hector plays the supportive husband. So lots of ideas there. Um, we have one more. Uh, Lillabs91 on Reddit says, in my opinion, pretty much almost all characters seem to have found something in their lives that make them happy at this point. Rebecca and the love quadrangle, on the other hand, 
um, with Greg. He's got a lot going for him, opening his restaurant and dealing with alcoholism on a daily basis. Uh, they say, I would like to see him realize he could take those experiences to good use and become an AA sponsor for others who struggle with their sobriety. Uh, they say Josh would keep his childish personality, finding happiness in the small and big things in life, like his Instagram campaigns or coaching Little League, always working on himself due to his Dr. Copian sessions. Um, they say therapy would be the next step for Nathaniel. And that hands down, Rebecca pursues musical theater, maybe starts her own community theater ensemble, finds happiness in directing and writing, therapy, keeping an eye on her feelings. She would still work at Rebetzel's since nothing in this world is free, but the passion and therefore implied happiness lies in her downtime. And then they go on, they have a, an end scene for the show uh, that they thought of that would basically be a reprise of West Covina a few months after the finale. And Rebecca leaves a rehearsal to meet with the girl group and the song kind of expands and the audience realizes that this time it really is about the actual place of West Covina as Rebecca walks down the street. Both share a talk about the latest changes and then Rebecca asks if he would like to go out on a date sometime. He replies with a sheepish smile that he'll wait for her call, leaving her in charge. Then Rebecca meets up with Paula, Heather, and Valencia moments later, still smiling. As the three ask her why she's smiling, she just responds, this is what happy feels like. So many people think the series will end with that line. So lots of differing ideas here from the fans. I mean, it really could go in any direction, and there's a lot of argument for many different directions too, I think. So at the time I'm recording this, we only have one week to go until the finale. I can't believe it. This show has changed my life. I've still got a lot of processing to do on that account, but we'll see what the finale holds. If anyone's able to rate and review the podcast, that would be a huge help towards growing the audience and helping it rank higher in search results. If you'd like to support the podcast, feel free to donate as little as $2 on Patreon under Team West Covina. There'll be links in the show notes. And you can reach out to the podcast or start discussions on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram under Team West Covina. You can also email me at paisley.podcasts at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.